0: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for downloading this episode of Beast Pod. On this, the second part of our interview with Tony Cliantis, Barnett's chairman, we discuss a whole range of more modern issues around the club. Not only including the Hive, but also stuff on the pitch, including the various failures this season, the decision to put players on furlough, and some of the plans for the future of the backroom staff ahead of the upcoming season 2021-2022. We really hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. As ever, let us know what you think on Twitter. And we look forward to hearing you and seeing you at the Hive very, very soon. One of the things that struck me this summer was we had a discussion, sort of the COVID situation, saying, well, perhaps this year in the market of players, there might be the fact that because squads, you know, as you said, if if clubs have to cut their cloth accordingly, they might reduce the size of their squads and there might be a trickle-down effect. But actually, I think what's... Born out to be the case consistently. And a good example, I think, of this is Stevenich, who kind of did a lot of their recruitment, perhaps thinking that they were going to be playing in the National League. They actually got those players in, and then they have gone into League Two and had a pretty good season playing some very good football, actually, with a similar squad that they sat with in the National League, which just goes to show that the sort of stability and longevity is there. Mm. I think one of the things that we wanted to touch on, and I'll, I'll let Mem kind of go with this in a moment, is in terms of this season in particular... The dismantling of the squads, this playoff squad at the end of the season. What what was the sort of thinking behind that? And because yeah, really, that there's really. a lot of those players have gone up. Right, you got Totonda in, yeah. in Bristol it, Rovers. It, yeah, so down. sorry. And I'll explain it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So so hold on, let me just take a, take a step back because yeah. you actually made several points. Uh, so just dealing with your Stevenage point.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Stevenage weren't doing well. They'd done well when they signed Dean Wilkinson.
2: Yeah.
1: Right great coach, because he's one of those identified too, I want, they just got in there before me, because I'd love to have Simon and Dean together um, but that's what changed their fortunes um, so, so going back to your point about what happened this year and you would need to kind of get your head around what, at the time what was going on, right, because you've got to remember I'm on the board of the National League so sometimes I have more insight than most and a lot of the time, I can't tell you things that I'd like to tell you. And, and I hear things going on, I think, oh, if only you knew. So, so let's go back to that time, right? The National League had taken a decision not to start. We were, there was not going to be a this season, right? So, as far as we were concerned, there was no point trying to keep players because this season's not going to happen. There isn't going to be a season. And in September, the government came to us and said, look, if we pay you a grant, will you agree to start? And it was only on that basis that suddenly it was like, oh, we're going to now play. And that's exactly how it happened, right? And this was at board level of the National League. So we weren't going to start unless, they, sorry, unless the government lets have crowd, which we were told we're not going to have a crowd until at least January. So, so all of a sudden, the government steps up and says, we'll pay you a grant. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, bloody hell, we need to start. Um, I'd already identified Peter, and, and, and I have to say, Peter, I feel so sorry for Peter, I feel so unlucky. And we can talk about that more later, but anyway. So I hired Peter, and he put a team together and as quickly as he could, and I thought he did quite well with the resources he had available. But this is where it gets even weirder, because most of the clubs said, you know, we, and you've got to remember now, I'm a, I'm a board director, so I'm aware of the club finances, and I'm aware of the clubs that if they, weren't got, if they didn't get the government money, they were going to collapse. And there was a few that were not going to get through the season. So this grant that they offered everybody, all of a sudden the government then in January, so we're expecting it for six months. The government turned around and said, we're not going to give you the grant again after three months but what you can do is borrow money so what's happened is clubs now are going and borrowing money from the government and that's why we knew i knew there wasn't going to be relegation how can you possibly relegate a club that's playing against a team that's been financed by the government it made no sense so the whole the whole integrity of the game issue was being discussed at levels on the board and with clubs that made it clear that we couldn't continue, even more so because we knew North and South were going to stop, because the North and South clubs were not prepared to put their clubs in debt to carry on. So, you know, promotion has to be under sporting merit. So how can you promote someone to relegate someone? So I'm looking at the situation now, and I'm thinking, well, I haven't, asked, I haven't borrowed any money from the government. We're keeping it going in the right way. Peter actually, after a bit of a rocky start, had, I felt, done, you know, got things together quite well. And then, unfortunately for him, he and most of the squad got COVID. It's as simple as that. And in those days, we never knew what long COVID was and that some people could suffer longer than others. So, what happened was, and, and the league and the national league, unlike the football league, had this policy of if someone had it, the whole team had to stop training. So all of a sudden, and it would be us that got it first, wouldn't it? So we've got COVID, team's not allowed to train. Two weeks go by, all of a sudden they're back again on a Monday, say. and We've got a game on a Tuesday and we're not sure about the effects of the COVID on the players. And don't forget the managers had it too. So we're now rolling into the games with a squad that hasn't been prepared, hasn't had a proper pre-season... That's only just got going. I think we would be we in the cup and we're just starting to look like we were gelling and it's all falling apart again. So what's happened is I'm now looking at it and thinking, I can't see how we're gonna get promoted now. We're not, you know, by the time we get into Christmas, I couldn't see how we we're gonna get promoted. So what do you do now? Do you invest a lot of money into try and finish mid table this season? or do you put a credible do the best you can to make a credible job of it to ride out this season and focus on next season? Now, I chose the latter, rightly or wrongly. However, having chosen the latter, I never thought we'd be this bad. Bloody hell, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, no, but Tim Flowers, 14 games, yeah, he won one. You know, I, nine players he signed. And, and you know, again, I, I'm, this isn't critical. I'm not criticising Tim. I'm just quoting statistics. I never thought we'd be like this. So, of course, coming back to appointing Simon now and why I'm taking so much time to look into the detail and do it properly, is even though this has all happened, we've got, you know, there's self-respect here. There's, there's an issue here. There's our honour. I don't want to be in a relegation place. So while we're still playing football, I'm going to do everything I can, as right as I can, to try and get us out of these relegation places because I don't want to finish in one. And that's the instruction to the team. That's the instruction to the staff. And even before this, this morning, I mean, I've been having a right legal row with the National League all morning because, I mean, poor old I mean, he got kicked in the head and really seriously injured. Uh, uh, you know, uh, broken eye yeah, socket yeah. and cheekbone. I mean, the poor kid. Uh, and the other kid, Harry uh, uh, Callan. Harry Callan? The the prentice. What's his name? Um, James, isn't it? James, oh, James Callan. Yeah, James Callan. Yeah, yeah. He's coming. Sorry, I'm yeah, getting no, old. Uh, he's coming, and how well has he done, right? But you look at the goal he conceded. They put four big blokes around him. <laughs> they built a cage, a man cage around him so he can get near the boy. just about got an arm to it. So, so we've lost the game 1-0 against the league leaders. Uh, or, well, no. Well, they would have oh, been yeah, league yeah, yeah. leaders. I think Torquay yeah. scored the late goal. Um, and so, you know, you think we've got to bring a goalkeeper in. So we've got a goalkeeper to come in from Watford. Got special dispensation... But then the Liga said to us, oh, you can't play in though because you're only allowed five loans. So I said, well, what's the point in giving us dispensation if we can't play you? And they said, well, you can if you drop one of your other loan players. And I said, but all five are playing. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, why do I care so much? I care because I still want to win, especially with Dagenham. Yeah. We've got to beat Dagenham, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, uh, we, to me, it's, there, there's so many things that go on, you know, so, so you've got this two rules that compete with each other, where you get dispensation for a goalkeeper, but you can only have a maximum of five loan players on the team sheet. So, so you know we're trying to we've been we, anyway we we couldn't we couldn't get unfortunately we couldn't get get what we wanted with that. So, so that causes a problem for Simon today. Um, but yeah, that's it.
2: I just wanted to re- uh, rewind back. So this is um, so a big conversation. With, uh, piece we've had on our, on our podcast for a while um, it's been around obviously Ian touched upon it the, the recruitment at the beginning of the season then manager changes and then new manager wants to bring in all their players I know. And, and, then we end up the, and then we end up with a massive squad and we've I mean we are there are a lot of supporters who don't like the idea of a director of football of some kind but me and Ian are very big fans of this because we see the the con- continuity of having a recruitment and it was interesting you said about the head of recruitment so you were saying about so that would be instead of a director of football, would be more of a head of recruitment yeah, so, role. So
1: we used to have a head of recruitment. Uh, um, he left when Mark McGee left, actually, uh, um, around
2: that time. Was that the guy who went to Crystal Palace? I've forgotten his name. Is it was it Arabic I'm, guy? You know, the G- other, oh, uh, uh, oh no,
1: you're talking about. Um, Omar, Omar um, yeah. Yabruti. So he was before him. Omar's fantastic. Uh, he he's the best recruitment guy I know. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to. And you know, he still rings me up and he, you know, gives me tips here and there. Uh, but unfortunately, he's now doing European recruitment for him, so he's not focusing on UK players. But Omar used to always provide a tip or two of someone who didn't think would be. Strong enough for Palace, but strong enough for our level. Um, But yeah, recruitment is really big now. It's a really important part of the club. Um, And you've got to get your recruitment right. And what we've had is, you know, and I had it with John and I had it with Darren and I had it with uh, Peter and I had it with Tim, where I was letting them recruit their own players. And exactly what you said happened, because what, what you get is New one comes in, don't like that lot, I want this lot. Yeah. And you know there was more players in the stands than supporters. It was just madness I've, I've never and you've got to remember we're paying for all that yeah. and, and it's much better to put your money into a few good focus it on a few good players and and remunerate them well and get that spirit going than it is to spread it amongst you know a cast of hundreds and that's the other part of it. For getting the money, what you don't see or maybe do see is if you've got a squad of 30 players, well, in our case, there's 36, there's only 11 going to play, right? That means you've got 25 unhappy people around the place. And half of the right backs. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: True. True. <laughs> yeah.
1: But all those, all those people, and that's this is the problem of the Hive, because the Hive is such an open place, those 25 are sitting in the coffee shop, they're sitting in the bar, they're, yeah. they're hanging around outside and they're mingling with supporters everywhere and they're mischievous. They will, they're very quick to, to drop a little bomb in here or a bomb in there to stir up a bit of trouble. We get it with agents who do it all the time. Yeah. So they, they start rumours just because they think it's funny or maybe they've got an axe to grind because they're not playing or, or maybe it's because they just want more money. And they want to tell people, oh, they're so and so interesting, they're gonna move. They're unhappy to force us into giving them more money. So it's kind of really frustrating for us because you do get all of these all all of these problems and rumors that come from having two-thirds of a squad that's unhappy. And I understand they're unhappy. I can't play them all. You know, you know, I think of writing to league and say, Can we play twenty-two? <laughs> We'd probably still lose it, the way we're going. But you know, but that's the you know, so so you want you don't want too many players, too many, pl- and the worst thing is when you got players who actually know that a new manager doesn't want them, because then they know there's no way back. You know, if I take Tim as an example—not a criticism yeah. of Tim—but Tim has a certain profile of a type of player yeah. that he would like. That would be different, eh? They all play for Solihull. Eh? <laughs> yeah, well. and then they struggle to fit under the under the uh, the doorframe. I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, poor Andonis did not fit yeah. Tim Flowers' profile, let's say. So, so that's a problem as well because those are the most unhappy players because they don't feel they even have a chance.
0: Just, just on on this year, and, and I appreciate this might be an area where it might be difficult to speak about it. But one of the things that has happened, obviously, is that we've we've ended up furloughing several players, and that was yeah. made clear in the statement around the fact that it wouldn't necessarily fit in with the new manager's plans. It was interesting, you know, Scott Loach, James Dunn, Those it seems to be the sort of more senior players that have, have gone. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? And then also, I think one of the things, and it's a question that we've discussed, because I think when Chesterfield started doing it, I think they were the ones that went public with it, they got quite a lot of criticism for sort of taking government money on one hand, essentially, and then continuing to sign players on the other. Did, was that something you ever thought about? Was that something that you, you thought intensely about? Or was it just simply everyone else is doing this, we're going to do it? And are those two players likely to feature for the club again, do you think?
1: Well, so first of all, I didn't realise you could furlough players until Chesterfield f- said so they were doing it. Yeah. We checked it and it was, you know, just like any other employee. You, you know, yeah. if you felt uh, that you didn't have a role for them, you could furlough them. So certainly, uh, from our perspective, uh, towards the... I think it's probably started to happen after Christmas yeah. when Tim came in when there were players that were not featuring in the manager's plans it seemed to make more sense to put them on furlough rather than have them coming here being unhappy and i think that's what the problem was you know it was trying to to remove okay. the unhappiness you know you know i don't want to say a rotten apple because they're not rotten yeah, apples yeah, yeah. they're just unhappy people for whatever reason maybe for very good reason and then if you put that around a squad it starts to bring other players around them down as well. So what we found was happening was we were slowly, slowly, our squad was... was uh, it wasn't a happy squad. And it wasn't a happy squad just because of results. It wasn't happy because of lots of things going on. So, so it just took the view that, look, if they're not part of the manager's plans, it's much better to say to that player, look, we'll make up your money, but let's call it a day rather than have a situation where you're coming to work and don't want to be at work, because that just spreads. Yeah. So so that's the thinking behind it, if you like. Um, it certainly wasn't aimed at any particular individuals. Yeah. Some of the people actually have, have said to us, look, it's a problem. You know, I, I travel many, many miles, Yeah. and I don't think I'm going to get a chance, and or I've just had a kid, and I think, you know, and I'd rather... Not have to come in if I know I'm not going to get a chance to play. Yeah. So so I would say 50% of the cases it's the players have come to me and said, Look, would you consider me for this? Um, and and there's been players who, who, who want to plan for next season and say, Look, I'm, I'll be out of work next year unless I can try a couple of clubs. Because what they're going to do is look at me and say, You haven't played for a year, so I'm not going to sign you. Yeah. And squads are going to be smaller, so I want the opportunity. To at least try somewhere else and see if they'll consider me. So, so there's lots of reasons behind it. That some of them very personal to the yeah, individuals, and it's really hard because people will ask me, you know, why did X, Y, Z? Why did that happen?" And I can't. It's very hard. I can't betray an individual's confidence. You know, you don't wouldn't expect your employer to talk about issues you may have spoken to them about privately. Yeah. But there are, you know, a lot of players have suffered a lot of mental stress during this period. Now It's been tough on them. Remember, they've had to carry on while most of the country's been in lockdown. Yeah. And I think some people don't stop and think about that on a player. Yeah. You know, if you've, got, if you've got a new baby in the house and you're running around 22 men hugging, right? Spitting, shoving, pushing. Yeah. So you're at high risk, if you think, of getting it yourself. Do you want to take that home to a new baby? So sometimes there are players who say, look, I don't, I don't want this around me at the minute. You know, for whatever, so there's a lot of stuff going on and I know it's hard for supporters because you're all assuming, oh yeah, why ain't so-and-so, why ain't this happening, why ain't that happening? But these are real people with real problems, just like the rest of us. And, and it's not something I can talk about publicly or about an individual, but you need to appreciate that there is a lot going on.
0: Yeah, I think it's yeah, definitely. manager. I just think it's interesting because the goalkeeping situation is one that we've we just talked about, and it's I think from a it, it is something that you would raise questions at as a supporter when you're seeing the side bottom of the league getting you know battered by. Yeah, I, uh, I mean,
1: um, would would the chairman want to spend money on another goalkeeper? I don't think so. No. I mean, the conversation with Scott uh, was one that he had with the manager at the time that was relayed to me. That was Tim. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not one for me to go into but you know the upshot was I then spoke with Scott myself because I've got a lot a lot of time for Scott he's a great individual yeah. I mean top bloke and you know and I had a chat with him and we just decided that was the best way forward um, and I didn't want to go back on what I said to him at the time you know again you know yes you could say right Scott sorry I'm forcing you to come back to work but I didn't feel that was the right thing to do Uh yeah. Um, and that, that's it, really. That's yeah. that's all that
2: happened. So, for, so for next season, are we in a position where contractually, with players, we, we could clearly have a, a clear out that would, yeah, so would would mean that we would we we've could, got half a dozen players left in contract for next year.
1: Um, most of our players we sign with options, um, uh, and um, some are on their option year. So would go anyway at the end of it, um, uh, but there's half a dozen effectively for next year. It might be eight or nine, I yeah. don't know, but not many. So there's an opportunity to rebuild with a really clean slate, and we want to take the opportunity to start again properly, and that's the plan.
0: And and just in terms of that, one of the the, the things that we were interested in was the backgrounds set up so that's one of the things we've been talking about with the director of football and it seems like that's been a lot more professional or professionalized that obviously is so let's talk about a director of football i've, yeah. I've tried not
1: to use the term yeah i try to think of every name <laughs> head <laughs> of football <laughs> you know because because this director of football comes with connotations to yeah. supporters which are not good ones but look the simple fact is this to to have a successful professional football club today You've got a number of specialist areas where you've got to make the right appointments in each area and then you need the right person to support them all. Yeah. That's what it boils down to, right? So so, you know, the old you know, a football manager who knows everything, it just doesn't work anymore. You know, you know, we used to I know I know Alex Ferguson probably did recruitment and did, you know, he was the physio as well, he had the sponge, he had the you know, but it's not like that anymore. You have a lot of specialist people in specialist areas. And someone's got to make sure the communication between them all and the coordination between them all is done correctly to try and keep things sailing in a smooth fashion. So that's the role. I, I chose to call it Head of Football because they're heading all the football department. Um, but, but, you know, for me, I think um, I'm almost acting as Head of Football at the minute now at the minute I don't have the time to do it especially uh once covid finishes and and everything starts being full on again I won't have the time so so I've you know I want to take I want to take the time to make the correct appointments myself in every position uh and then and then hopefully be able to make that that final appointment correctly and that person can then liaise with me and all the others.
2: Just that, like, yeah. Because it's interesting you say that. Because, sort of, I don't know you, know. you probably don't know a huge amount about me and Ian, but we we both uh, are, have been coaches ourselves, and so we do meet, know a lot of coaches in the game. Ah, now so. now I know the plan. You want a job? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually. <laughs> Actually, no, because we it, it, probably get sacked for six months. What, <laughs> you probably what, sack us really What's quickly. this
1: I see, a CV you're slipping <laughs> my way?
2: Well, the, the reason we said it is because we obviously know a few people in the football. And what was interesting was out of the blue, a uh, few weeks ago, we got this name, Jamie Fullerton, came up. Oh, Jamie's great. And so we, we know he was involved in, the, in a lot of the interviews. So, But he's now ended up at Walsall. Do you, can you explain what a bit what he, what uh, he well, was Jamie, doing
1: Well, Jamie actually was recommended to me by Dougie Friedman. Uh, and Jamie was great he really helped me out with the recruitment process uh, it's difficult because Jamie lives in Halifax and I've got this thing about uh, sorry this is the other thing about <laughs> since Tim Flowers in those permanent appointments when I make them I want people who are within reach of the club uh, because I find it frustrating uh, I had this conversation when I was hiring Tim about you know, people travelling distances they they mean well and they intend to do it but as time goes on it becomes more and more wearing and more, yeah. and more and more of a problem and I'm kind of one of these people if any of you know me I work long hours you know seven days a week long hours everyone will tell you that and I'm quite demanding I expect everybody to be pulling together and that's hard to do when you're travelling 300 miles to, <laughs> so a day so so um for me, uh, Jamie was invaluable in the recruitment process. He re- really helped me a lot. But I think we just came to a natural end to the relationship. I'd love to do something ongoing with him, but don't misunderstand. If he, if he moves house tomorrow, I'd be, I'd be all over Jamie to get him here. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be a good appointment for Warsaw.
0: And in terms of the, the setup, then, so you said we've got a head of football. Would, one of the things that, again, might be people putting two and two together and getting five is that we know that Simon Bassi has a previous relationship with Neil Ardley, who was at Notts County. No,
1: I haven't spoken ever to Neil Ardley. Well, I don't think I have. No. Right? I, I, I say I don't think because sometimes I don't recognise a face. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so I don't think I have. No, look, um, the person I'd love to do the job. Really would want to do the job uh, is Paul. Yeah, and won't he come? Paul is the is is absolutely tailor made. would be the best head of football this club could hope for. But I keep trying and he keeps pushing me away. <laughs> so so um, you know we, we carry on looking, but he sets the bar. So in my mind. If you, if I'm going to appoint you, you need to show me you're at least as good as what I believe Paul would be, and that's quite a high bar. So I'm seeing a lot of people, but none of them are climbing it. Uh, you know, Jamie would meet the bar, but but unfortunately, it's too far away.
0: And it, I guess in terms of one of the things that we learned from this summer, one of the things that we felt was the sort of decisions around sort of Darren and, and Junior, um, and you know, we know for example that one of the things that fans really enjoyed having was Darren Curry, someone who played for the club, who was a big part of the club's Mm. sort of better times, I guess, under your ownership. Looking back in hindsight, do you think that there there could have been more of a productive conversation this summer? Was it just a, was it a budgetary issue? Was it, was it, what what was that? Well, first of all, maybe
1: you can help me because there's one thing I haven't quite got my head around. Pre-COVID, covid with Darren managing the team, I don't know the exact number, but I think probably our average crowd was about a 1,000, the lowest I've ever known it to be. Yeah. So I found it quite interesting that once Darren had left, everyone went, oh, we're all getting behind Darren. I was like, well, unless you're all invisible, I don't know where that happened. <laughs> I, I I really don't. Yeah. So, so that kind of threw me, I have to say. I know there was a reaction, but the reaction threw me. And that's not a criticism of Darren, by the way, because yeah. I felt... I think Darren felt he put so much work into trying to get the supporters behind him and get behind the team. I remember he used to march them all round to the other stand, all the players after the game, to, to kind of get to know supporters. And I remember him walking in one day and saying, I ain't doing that anymore, there was only four of them there. And, and I thought four being like, you know, 40. Yeah, I thought, yeah. But it was actually four. It really was four. <laughs> it was four. a bit
2: embarrassing. I was there a few times and it was like looking around thinking... Where is everybody Yeah, (laughs) well,
1: do do you know what I mean? So, you know, I I felt for Darren because I think if everybody got behind what he was trying to do in the way they got got behind him after he left, I think it would have helped him a lot because it would have, you know, that was, I think, his thing about trying to get everybody galvanised. So that's the first thing. Um, With regards to the team itself, I mean, you know, I couldn't understand, at, at the end of the day... We were, I don't know, 19th or something in the table. We weren't performing well. What saved us, actually, and it was Ian Hendon contacting me because he, he was representing Paul McCallum. And and he said to me, look, Tony, I can get you Paul there. Huge, big money uh, we had to pay. It cost a lot of money, uh, probably three times what an average player was getting here, to bring Paul here from... Uh, Solihau on loan, but the him coming here turned the season around because we were doing quite. You know, we were. I can't remember. We weren't doing very well until he came, and all of a sudden, I think it was seven games,
2: and he scored six winning goals yeah. or something. We yeah, were super, we were just super inconsistent, and I think, I think yeah. actually though that in it was it, that was the missing. That was, mm. was having a clinical striker was the absolutely, missing,
1: missing. and and you know the frustration for me was I'd given Darren the money to bring a striker. Uh, actually, it was quite an embarrassing moment for me because he wanted someone from Dover. And I spoke to the chairman there and done a deal to buy a striker, and it was the wrong one. Because I thought he wanted the other player, not Alfie. That's not to criticise Alfie, I just, it was just an error. Because he said to me, the striker from Dover, so I had to go back, sorry. <laughs> That's not the player I wanted to buy. Uh, so, so we signed so, Alfie Pay by mistake? No, 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 we never signed him by mistake. Right. I did a deal to buy another striker I won't say the name yeah yes, he he actually well I think you'll work it out he yeah. came here on loan from Stephen e. Hijal. Yeah, but yeah. I did a deal to sign a different striker not because re- because at the time I didn't realize it was Alfie that uh, Darren wanted
2: right
1: okay right so you know Alfie was Darren's decision um it it was I felt a lot of money for the, for for that particular deal but I said to him look, you know we've got X to spend uh, if you want to spend it there, fine, but I can't do any more. You've got to be sure. He was like, 100%, that was his decision. Um, and unfortunately for Darren, and again, you know, Darren was a bit unlucky here. I mean, uh, uh, he got injured at Potter's Bar. Yeah, I was
2: there.
1: So suddenly we had a, you know, so so we had a hole looking for another striker. So I felt at a time when finances were really difficult, I'm trying to bail out the team again. Um, And so we got McCallum, did well, pushed up the table. uh, But that was the difference. When you talk about a playoff team, I mean, I don't know, maybe you saw something different to me. I felt that against Yeovil, I think, were the luckiest win I've ever seen in my life. I mean, how... You know, their chairman rang me up crying, saying, Now, what happened? <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, he felt, he felt he'd been mugged, robbed, and beaten up quite yeah. badly. We, we should have, no, let's be honest. I mean, we, we stole that. And against Notts County, we were completely outclassed, I thought. So, so, in my mind, we weren't a playoff team. We might have just finished in the playoffs. And I fought tooth and nail, mate. You have no idea how hard I fought for points per game. Uh, to try and get us there in the first place. Um, and, you know, I just felt I couldn't see that team being strong enough. They weren't strong enough then. They had a good manager with Darren, you know, uh, sorry, good coach, because Darren was a good coach and Junior was a good supporting coach. So, so when you look at that setup, and, you know, I knew we couldn't afford to Paul McCallum again. So you look at that set and think, well, if we're not good enough there, we're not going to be, we're not going to get better. I couldn't see us getting better, with everything else that was going on. So I think ultimately, for me, once Darren came in wanting more resources, when when people were wondering if they'd even have money to keep a club going in the year, it just was a straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, well, can't do. I'm not.
2: I can't give you more. Um, it's interesting, Tony, you were saying um, about the fact that obviously players are unhappy, start talking, and they start creating an atmosphere. So what was interesting is that we'd already heard, um, so me and Ian had heard uh, already stories from players earlier sort of earlier in the season, so around sort of christmas E time, probably a bit earlier than that, for players who'd been told that they weren't going to be, have their contracts renewed. And it turned out, I think, of the... The players that were the biggest mouths in terms of saying that I've got, you know, I'm not being renewed. They were the ones who didn't sign their contracts uh, to play in the playoffs. Do you think, in hindsight, maybe you might have kept that or that announcement mm. to them a bit later, so that I,
1: I, I never announced the players were so. That's them maybe making assumptions or agents talking. I mean, in simple terms, we had some. There were some really good players. Swen's done really well. Yeah. Uh, Santos really well. Um, uh, Chutonda really well who we really wanted to keep but their agents made clear to us there was no way they were going to sign their contract and they were at the end of their options so what had happened was we'd taken up options with those players and effectively kept them here for another year they didn't want to be here but they made clear they weren't going to stay I would, I mean any one of those you'd want to keep you'd have to be mad not to So, so the best of the group had already made clear they were leaving. Mm. Uh, and they're the ones that all... And, and it wasn't personal, by the way. I mean, if you take, take Santos... I mean, Ricardo, uh, You know, we, you've got to understand, th- these are good players. Yeah? Well,
0: fantastic, hmm? well, he's fantastic. He's been best playing in Division two. 2. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah,
1: and, and you think to yourself, you know, yeah, I'd love to be able to keep him, but he's going to earn three times as much in the league he's not going to stay with Barnet as much as he'd like to and even if i offered him the same money and this is the bit people don't appreciate they don't like being outside of the league yeah. you know as a league club you've got the as a player you've got the pfa's arms around you looking after you because the pfa doesn't really run international league it, you know so you know and it's a different it's a completely different environment there's a line at the bottom of league 2 unfortunately, where you are considered non-league, non-professional, semi-professional, whatever. There's a line where players don't like to cross. And there's two of them in football. One's between the Premier League and the Championship, and the other one's between League Two and the National League. So whether we like it or not, even on the same... If a player can be in the league, that's what he wants. And so that's what they're going to do. They're going to try and get that contract whether we like it or not. So we knew because they were particularly good and because other clubs that are contacting me and the chairman who are contacting me saying, "Oh, Tony, do you mind if we speak to so and so's agent or you know, so I know who they're talking to a lot of the time. I can see what's going to happen.
0: And it's inevitable to some extent. I think what it's in the final So well. sorry. Yeah. So so
1: from that team the best ones, if you say, I don't know, out of... If you say the top 25%, we knew we were going to lose anyway. The bottom 25 you probably want to lose. And then you've got that 50% rump in the middle, which is give or take, you know, yeah. you know we knew wasn't good enough to do anything more than maybe finish in the middle of the table. Was it,
2: were we right in saying that? Because some of it, we heard that some of the figures that were banded around and some of the, some, like you said, the ones in the middle were actually probably quite overpaid for extremely
1: overpaid. We we were paying average players a lot more than we should have. I mean you know you you've got to remember I mean you know Darren's budget was in the top 4 top 3 or 4 in the division. You know there was a lot of overpaid players it wasn't Darren's doing by the way. Mm. Uh, but you know he he had an expensive squad available to him. Uh And so when people say to me, oh, why didn't you keep them all together? Well, the best ones I couldn't keep together if I wanted to. They were going to go. Simple as that. Um,
2: Now, thanks for clarifying that, because it's always interesting to understand which, you know, what the circumstances are in terms of what the scenario was. So that's it. Thanks for clearing that up.
1: You, You will always get a player. Look, there will always be players who feel they were particularly treated badly or who feel under the circumstances things should have be been done differently. There'll always be a player whose agent wants, sometimes wants to be a bit troublesome. And sometimes they're right, by the way. We are, we are not an organisation that gets things 100% right. I'd like to think we get 8 out of 10 you know, This is something I say to all my staff all the time. You know, We just have to make the decisions and try and get 8 out of 10 right at least and then we'll move forward as an organisation. That's kind of my principle across all my businesses. When people say to me, you know, how do you do well? I say, because we make decisions. We don't sit on the fence. We'll make a decision, and as long as we're getting 8 out of 10 right, our business will be fine. And we try and do that with football as well. Now, that leaves you still with 20% who we may have wronged, we may have messed up, we may have done it, but it's not through malice, you know, uh, we, you know, it's just it's just the way it goes. I'm afraid it's sheer numbers, and unfortunately, because we've probably had twice as many players as any other club <laughs> in history 20%. in the last few years. Yeah, it, there's there's a, that 20 a, a large amount of people. I'm afraid.
0: Just in the final sort of 10-15 minutes of, of the time we, we have with you, I just wanted to sort of look towards the future a little bit, um, just with some questions. First of all, around the structure of the hive, in in terms of um, the development. I know that we been some sort of announcements a few I think maybe a year or so ago about the south stand I believe it was and we were just wondering if you could give us an update on anything that's happening at the Hive um, and yeah any changes that might be happening.
1: Yeah so look I mean we've reached a bit of a brick wall with Harrow Council uh, in trying to develop the site further Um, and we need to think if we can try and find a way to unblock that Uh, but we do have a lot of permissions planning permission. In place that needs to be implemented. So I mean, I don't know if you noticed all the building work going on behind the north stand. So that's the new 5 centre that we're we're building. That was supposed to have started before COVID and got delayed. Um, and we were ma- able to secure the bank funding despite COVID. Uh, uh, thank you Barclays, who were great in sorting that. Uh, and and so um, yeah, so. Um, that's going ahead and hopefully we'll be ready for July. And and these things are really important because uh that's what keeps your club going. I think what some supporters don't appreciate is this. What and it's probably because I've been doing it so long, nearly 30 years, right? What a lot of supporters don't appreciate is those weddings which they hate, right? And 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 the and the football people uh who, who block up the car park and and, and the restaurant that sells bad chicken or whatever they want to have a go about. But, but whatever it is, right, what I realised a long time ago when I came into football is I'd made some money and I was taking it out of one pocket, throwing it into football, and it was flying away. It was gone, finished, right? It's like when you invest in the team. If you If you put your personal wealth into having a good team, well, that's fine, but once you run out of wealth, if the club can't sustain it, whether or not that team was promoted once, twice, three times, it will come back down again. So what I learned was the key is actually the infrastructure. Rather than spend, for argument's sake, £2 million on a player, it's much better to spend £2 million on building a football centre and have the revenue from that football centre going into club to support the player. Because then it will always be there. And that's what the hive is. It's a completely unique business model in football that allows the club to keep going regardless of what's going on, on and off the pitch or whether the chairman can afford it. Because otherwise, if I'm gone tomorrow, and, and I have to tell you, watching this team, I've nearly expired a few times, right? So, you know, it's it's... <laughs> Life insurance doesn't... You don't get life insurance when you're Barnet Football Club chairman, I promise you. <laughs> so, so we, you know, so you need something there that's going to hold everything together. And that's what we do. And that's why the whole of football looks at us as a model and go, bloody hell, look what they're doing. You know, believe it or not, we are the most respected club within football. It makes me laugh when I always think our football relationships are poor. I mean, you know... If, it, you know, you, you said at the beginning you were quoting something that said I was chairman of the football league, uh, chairman yes. of, youngest chairman, but I've also, the youngest director of the football league, youngest director of the FA, director of the NL, I've sat on every committee. All these are voted on positions. You don't do these things unless the chairman at other clubs respect you and vote you on. And, if you know, my phone doesn't stop ringing all night long even when people buy new clubs, ringing up going, Tony, we hear you're the person to speak to because I've just done the maddest thing in my life. I've gone and bought, I don't know, Newport County. And and what have I done? <laughs> How can I navigate this? So so I'm kind of, you know, we, 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 it's, for us, it's really nice to have all that respect within football. and And it's really nice to have all those strong relationships. But most importantly, it's really nice for me to know that whatever my legacy is, what I've put together hopefully will keep the club going. Yes. The, yes. the only thing I can't do is
2: get the supporters <laughs> behind it. Help. Well, I, so we got help. A, so I've That's got,
1: the bit we need help with.
2: <laughs> so I've got a couple of questions around obviously around legacy. So um I know a big part of of obviously we talked earlier about a big part of how some supporters feel that because we've left Barnet that this is, you know. They don't have the connection to the hive as they did to Underhill, and I was, and, it, and it's noticeable when you go around the stadium and you've got the south stand and the north stand and the and it makes me wonder, um, do you have you thought of or are there any plans that maybe we could more Barnetify? And that's not a real word, but the stands in terms of you know like so you go to some clubs and they've got the Sir Bobby Charlton stand. Well, and okay, I mean we tried. So look,
1: I mean, I can. I can build you the house, but I can't make it a home. And I think that's what the problem is here, that I've built the facility. The supporters need to make it home. You need to form your supporters' association again because that was a fantastic association of a group of people who really cared about the club. I mean, I remember when I spoke to Eddie about it, it was the last chairman, I said, Eddie, you know, we really need to talk to supporters. Can you help? And in the end, they called themselves a liaison group because I think they were too scared to call themselves the association because of all the grief they'll get from other supporters. I mean, the infighting's terrible. There needs to be an association that properly represents supporters, that turns the hive into a home, even if it's a temporary home. I haven't got a problem, like I said, with us looking... You know, I'd love to see us back in Barnet. You know, that's not an issue. But we're here now... So while we're here, you know, treat it as a, you're on, you're on holiday, you're on an extended holiday, you're, you know, you're staying in a holiday home for the next two years. Make it a home. And then we can transfer that into wherever we go to next. It's fine. I can't do that. Only it's the supporters that are the soul of the club. So, you know, I'll do the bricks and mortar bit. I'll design it. I'll pay for it. I'll get the architects to do a plan. I'll put the planning in. I'll get beaten up by the council. I'll have a fight with builders. And somewhere along the line, I'll cobble together a stadium for you. But you have to make that stadium home. I can't do that for you. I need help with that.
2: And that only comes from you. Only you. So, sorry, just sorry, I know you've, you've got a question, Ian. But so on that point, because obviously that is something that we've mentioned as well about a, a, a supporters' association... Would If there was one that was to be created um, and would you be prepared to give them a space here of some kind to, to be able to have a base? Um, Why like...
1: would we not? Why would you even think we wouldn't do that? Listen, I've already been speaking to a supporter about doing something. I, I mentioned him earlier and I hope he does. I really do because it's, it's madness to think that supporters aren't, aren't turning this into their home. You should be doing that. You know, can I I just say, I mean, that's an example. Remember I said to you about this trust supporters thing? I mean, and, and how it all happened at the same time and we got divided. I mean, they started meeting at another football club. How does that make any sense? I'm sorry. Another football club to me is like, oh, it's an upside down cross. It's like, what are you doing? This is the exorcist. You cannot be going to another football club and it's just not right. I'm not going to knock that club, but you know, it was nice that they gave them better beer than we serve. So I hear. But, huh? So we might
0: be playing. Instead. Well, well, yeah.
1: Well, at the rate we're going, yeah. But no, seriously, you know, we are Barnet. So you know, I'm not interested about any other club. I really don't give. I'm not interested, right? I, I supported a different club, a much bigger club. I said goodbye to that club. Nearly 30 years ago now. You know, I could walk... I've, I've, I've been invited into ballroom so many times, I don't go. I rarely go. I only go if I just want... I don't even know what's going on in the Premiership. I don't care. You could talk about Premiership players, but I don't even know who they are. I care about one club, this club. I want supporters who support this club. I don't give a damn about anybody else. So why would my supporters' association be going to another club? Come here... What space do you want? I'll give you the whole stand if you can fill it. I don't you know, seriously, it's just wrong. It's wrong. We've got to start accepting. I know people are upset we're not in the borough Barnet, or not in Barnet Town, even. But just accept that. That you know, I can't do anything about that. I can only affect what I can do. Let's let's regroup, let's make it our base. And if that association wants to fight. To get land back in in Barnet, then great. You know we had the most two people I remember, Mike Edwards, Janet Mathewson. Oh my God, what a force they were! Yeah. Seriously, if any if any of our supporters remember that far back, oh, you know if you were a general, you wouldn't want two. There are two these two to have as your lieutenants are fantastic. Boy, did they give their council a, a real beating. Maybe too good, because that's, <laughs> that's probably why I then got battered and moved, pushed out, because I couldn't take them anymore. But, you know, they were fantastic. I know when people like that mobilise, the things they can do is incredible. And so, you know, I get a bit annoyed when people say to me, oh, you've given up on Barnet. I haven't given up. I just can't do everything.
0: I guess that the final question then, like we have covered a lot of stuff in terms of the football side and the non-football side. And yeah, it
1: hasn't gone three o'clock has
0: it, it hasn't yeah. gone three o'clock yet. No, so yeah. no, we're still we're still we're still at zero okay. zero. Um, but I guess that the final question from us then is, in the short term and then in the long term, looking forwards, what what are your plans? What are your hopes? I think a couple of years ago, I think it was back in two thousand and seventeen, you kind of made a, a statement about really wanting to push on to League One, and obviously we haven't quite managed to do that. But kind of realistically speaking, we've I guess gone in the sh- we have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> pay my ten pound every week. But I, I guess <laughs> going in this sort of next season, then going forward, what's the plan? And I guess actually, in, if you wouldn't mind, in the long term, because obviously you've been at the club for a long period of time, what you use that word legacy there? What What would you like your legacy to be? What do you think you want to leave the club behind in, in say, fifteen twenty years? Time? No,
1: I've, I've always said, you know, I have this thing about I'm not looking to be someone's hero so I can be someone's villain the next day I will work as hard as I can because I don't know how to do anything else to build everything as best I can off the field for next season my plan is to pay attention to get right the appointments of the people who need to get success on the field right but I don't go around scouting there seems to be this weird thing that you know, I go around scouting players and I go around coaching because I seem to get the blame for every ball that's kicked badly or any player that's got two left legs. I don't know. They're just names. Literally, when a manager says, I want to sign these three players, their names on a bit of paper to me. They don't mean anything, right? Uh, and I don't know they are until I, I see them play. Actually, one of the things that I do, I never know the team that's going to play until they run out. It's a big thing of mine. I learned that from the days of Ray Clements. It actually, when I first bought a club, it sported my enjoyment because when I knew who the team was, I'd spend all Friday thinking, what's he playing in for? (laughs) (laughs) What a crap idea. He's rubbish, right? So, So I want to be a supporter. So on a match day, they run out and I'm like, you look what formation is he playing? Who's playing? And, and, you know, and just like you, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, not him. You know, so, so you know, so I, 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 I'm not involved in the coaching. I'm not involved in the formation. I don't choose the players, yeah? And, I, you know, this is what I employ the coaches to do. So I will try really hard to get those appointments off the field correct. I don't want a manager who's going to employ all his own people anymore, right? Because that's what happened with John and that's what's happened with, you know, that's what happened with this last, since we got relegated, that's what happened, right? Uh, When we lost all the league funding, uh, we lost all the academy people, we lost all our staff and literally we had no one left and then John brought his own people in and then after John it was Darren and after Darren it was Peter and then after Peter it was Tim. I'm like, no, never again. We're going to hire, as a club, the best people we can in every position. That's my job. And if, I, and if I've made a mistake in those positions, I'll have to rectify it, right? And I would expect them right? So if, to do their job right. So if my team ain't fit, I'm going to go to a physio and say, Oi, you were hired to keep them fit. What the hell's going on? And if they don't run enough, and sometimes we haven't, have we? Cuh. I'll be getting older, Gary and say, Oi, you're supposed to be doing performance. What's going on? And if our goalkeeper can't catch the ball, I'll be getting older, David. And if they're not playing the right formation and winning games, I'll be going to the coach for that. It needs to be people doing the best in every position and recruitment's the next one we've got to deal with. Yeah? So, so that's my on-the-field ambition. My off-the-field ambition... Going to reach out into communities, completely restructured the community department, and we need to reach out into the community as much as we can. Adam, could you go and tell him to switch yes. that off, please? Because it's effect. going to ruin. You. I don't know if that picks it up. No, you should do
0: right,
1: oh, it. Okay. So, so for me, we've got to reach out into the community and do all the things we used to do very well that we haven't done well really since, since uh, Janet moved on, because she was fantastic. Uh, reaching out into the community, and we 've got to start doing those things really well again and and build our base, build our supporters and if we if we 've only got five hundred at the start of the season, then hopefully you know we 'll add one a day and we 'll have eight hundred and sixty five by the end of it
0: you know? well yeah I mean first of all, thank you so much for your for your time. I think one of the things that 's been brilliant is that you 're right in so far as saying, and we sense this from one of your earlier statements this season that the communication hasn 't always been there on, on both sides, I think. Um and I think, you know, as supporters, we we need to understand it's a lot more complex than it can seem on social media at times. And equally I think the club can can we can always do more to sort of talk to each other. So hopefully this this won't be the, the last the last time that we're able to speak or if it's someone else. Um, I think people will really appreciate you putting your your message across. I guess the, the final thing for me before we before we go, Tony, is if you had a message to the supporters that have been through a bit of a rough ride this season, um, whether they are still in love with the club, that they support Underhill, whether they're not, what, what would you say to people going into next season or going forward with the club that, to sort of reassure them or to give them a bit of a boost going forwards?
1: Well, I to before I do that, I want to mention social media. It's the, the only thing I said to you, you can ask me what you like, I don't mind, but social media, I just want to say something about. I know there was some criticism about, I think I called them Twittering idiots, yeah. right? But you will see this weekend the whole of football shut down on social media. It's not a joke. It's really serious. What is going on out there has to stop. I don't want someone wearing the barnet badge going off and abusing... You know, players will sometimes trip over their shoelaces and miss an open goal, right? The chairman may do something wrong, right? But that doesn't mean that anyone's entitled to abuse people, swear at people, and some of the stuff is quite vile. And our supporters know who they all are. So I'm hoping all the good people, not just at our club, but every club, will start to ban these people, switch them off. You know, I don't know how you do it, because I've never been on Twitter or Facebook or any of them, but I know you can block them. That's the word I'm looking for. They need to be blocked by everybody and ignored by everybody. People need to turn their backs on people who behave like that. It's not acceptable, right? Whether you like them or hate them, the 11 guys who crossed that white line, they're wearing the Barnet shirt and they're there to do the best they can for you. Right? So by all means, if they played rubbish, tell them. I will as well. Right? But there's no need for swearing. There's no need for personal abuse. And my comments were aimed at those people. There's not a lot of them. There's probably 3 or 4% at every club. And we have them like everybody else. I certainly, my comments weren't aimed at all, at the majority of our support base. And I, I, I did read it a couple of times. I don't know how it was taken like that. It really wasn't meant like that at all. So I apologise to any fan who feels I offended them because I absolutely would never do that. I love our fans, everyone who turns up here, and the, and some of the ones who don't. <laughs> so, you know, this listen, you, you, you need something about you to keep coming to... Support Barnett FC. Let's face it, it's not an easy option. And what would I say to everybody? Just keep the faith. You've got to believe in us. You've got to believe in the club. We will only ever be as good as you make us. You know, I could, I could build, I could put gold plating on the seats. It doesn't really matter, right? I cannot make it feel like a great football club. It's the supporters that make a great football club. You, you mentioned the Brentford game right? It's the atmosphere of a game like that and the positivity and everyone getting behind it but you know what, it's been able to carry that into the next game. That might be, I don't know, Dulwich Hamlet away or whatever. You know, you know you've got to carry that feel and that atmosphere from game to game to game and if you remember the, the season we went up with uh, Paul Fairclough and with Martin Allen all through the seasons, there was little thing. you know, we're on our way, we're on our way. Do you remember that song? You know, throughout the season, that kind of buzz you got, where you knew something was happening, every game you went to, you had this positive atmosphere. This, So we, you just knew we were going to go up because our supporters were going to will us up. And it is like that. You feel it. Your hair stands on the back of your neck. You know it's going to be a good season. And you know that if everyone gets behind us, they'll roll teams take a dip in the season and when they do it's that that lifts them through the dip and gets them over the line so you know it happened to us with Paul's team it happened to us with Martin it's all about the supporters believe in us keep supporting us if we do things wrong tell us we'll try and put it right we'll probably get it wrong again and you tell us again but we, we are you know we're not here to cause you problems we're here to try and make it the best club we can make it for you
0: well, thank you so much for your for your time, Tony. It's honestly, it's amazing that you've given us the opportunity to come and talk to you about this stuff. And as I said, um, yeah, we we look forward to hopefully being back in the hive very soon and, and seeing us perform better next season. Then, yeah,
1: I suppose we'll have to do another one of these another day next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. <laughs>
0: if you
2: one, you could be like a regular co-host. <laughs>
0: No, but hopefully, hopefully at some point, it'd be lovely to sort of yeah either ourselves or someone else to sort of check in before the season because it's great to great to have that communication open and yeah uh, thank you very much you for your time, time. much appreciated. appreciate appreciate okay. thanks very much thank you cheers. That brings us to an end of both this episode and our interview with the chairman, Mr Tony Kliantis. We'd like to thank Mr Kliantis for his time and also Adam Rowe for his efforts in setting this up. We really hope that you found this conversation interesting and useful. Going forwards, we'll continue to share our thoughts, opinions and views on the bees going forwards on the pitch. And we hope and look forward to seeing you all very, very soon. Thank you for your support.